Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. My name is Pastor Jeremy. Welcome. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mawa campus. I'm so excited that you are here with us today. First, a very happy Memorial Day weekend to everyone here. Uh, we hope you enjoy the day, enjoy the weekend. We're so thankful for all those in the armed forces that have given their lives for our freedom, so we celebrate that. And also, I know many of you, if you've been watching the news this past week, our hearts are heavy from the shootings in the, in the, in the school in Texas. And uh, we, as a prayer team, we've been praying for uh, those that have been affected for that tragic event and also the, other, the recent ones that have happened in Buffalo and in California. Uh, our hearts are heavy, but uh, we've been praying at our worship night, and I want to encourage you to continue to be praying, too, for uh, the victims and those who are affected, and also for safety for our community even here uh, in Mawa and West Milford and surrounding areas. So, um, so why don't we get started? And one of the things that I thought we would do, we would start a little bit differently today. Uh, in our Constitution and bylaws, there are some official decisions that have to be made. And I thought, you know what, instead of waiting till like the next year's church meeting, how about we make some of those voting and those decisions now? How does that sound? Sound okay? And we were, these are some of the things that we're supposed to, some of the board members look at me and be like, I didn't know, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, we were supposed to do, make some of these votes and decisions in the beginning of our church when we first started, but we were too busy doing ministry and never, you know, never got time for it. And all these things that we're going to be voting on the, this morning, they are permanent decisions. They can never be revoked ever throughout the course of our church. So the decisions we make now are permanent. They can't be revoked, and these decisions have to be entirely unanimous. So it has to be a unanimous vote. If there's someone here that disagrees with you, you have to go and convince them to, to, uh, to choose what, uh, what you want them to do. So the first thing is we have to choose our official church baseball team. All right? That's the first thing we need to choose. Uh, this is for licensing and merchandising purposes. And we can put the logo on the website, and we got discounts for their games and things like that. So we have to choose one, and uh, I'm sure how many of you want to vote on the Yankees, which I'm assuming is everyone, right? Okay. All right. So now, since there are no Mets fans here, we are going to... Okay, we have two, three, a few, a few Mets fans. Okay, look at all the Mets. Okay, all right. A few Mets. Oh, okay. They're coming out of the woodworks now. All right. Okay, so it looks like we're not going to make any progress with this decision, so we'll just postpone this vote for another 10 years. We'll just do that. Uh, the next is we have to vote on the official church hockey team. Uh, There's something we have to vote on. This is, once again, for licensing and merchandising purposes. We can only choose one. We can't have both. Uh, are, how many people vote for the New Jersey Devils? Okay, all six people. All right, how many people vote for the Rangers? Rangers, okay. Can you can you convince the uh, can you convince each other to to have a unanimous vote? Anyone is that possible? Can you be convinced? Right. <laughs> okay. 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 This is pretty unanimous. Okay. All right. From both sides. Okay. Okay. 
All right, so it looks like we're not going to get anywhere with this vote today. It's not, so we'll, we'll kind of postpone this. Uh, one of the things, because of budget reasons, whenever we have events and whenever we have desserts, uh, we want to save some money. So we have to choose between chocolate ice cream and vanilla ice cream. We can't have both. We have to choose one. So how many people vote for chocolate? Remember, we can never have the other chocolate. How about vanilla? Okay, it's maybe, I think there are more, more vanilla here. Uh, so that looks like it's not going to work. And one of the things that we want to do as a church, we want to be good stewards to our environment. We want to save money. You know, there are some churches around the world that they can't, uh, they can't afford both heating and air conditioning. So we have to choose one. So that way we can save a lot of money and it can help us out, help the environment. If you had to choose, which one would you save? Air conditioning or heating? Who, wants, who, would, who would keep the air conditioning in the summertime? A couple people? All right, and who would keep the heating? In the, in the, okay, everyone, okay. I think more people want the well, he, heating, yeah. Or you could just wear, wear a jacket. Um, the other thing we have to vote on is the official superhero universe of our church, either DC or Marvel. And uh, you can't choose both if we have an event and a costume and, and we're all wearing the Avengers. And you can't have Superman come in. It'll, the whole metaverse will explode. So... Uh, we can't do anything like that. So we have to choose one and stick with it. So who would choose DC, the Justice League and DC? Okay, Batman, Superman. Okay, who would choose Marvel, the Avengers? Oh, wow, look at that. This is, this is, our vote is not going anywhere. Um, in some states, including New Jersey, churches are allowed to have pets at church. So we have to choose which one we want. We have to choose between a dog or a cat. So... Uh, so I'm not biased, you know, just to let you know, I'm not biased or anything, but uh, who would choose for a church dog, you know, therapeutic dog? Anyone? A church? All right. All right. Now, who would choose a cat? No one? Okay. All right. A couple. Seven people. All right. Okay. So I see that's not going to go anywhere right now. Uh, if, you're, if you're allergic, we'll give you, whichever one we choose, we'll give you tissues and uh, allergy medicines. And the last one is probably the most important thing. We have to vote on the official way to install the toilet paper here in our <laughs> bathrooms, all right? So this is not something we can just, you know, change our mind on and like a few years from now we can't go back and forth with these decisions. So we just want to make a decision now and stick with it so we don't don't get confused in the future. Well, what does everyone say? Over or under? Over or under? Okay, okay. Maybe maybe we have a almost unanimous vote. Okay. Well, anyway, you can turn off the slide. Um, I can only imagine if someone were to walk in here for the first time today, they might be like, what did I just get myself into? Uh, this church is so divided on so many of the major issues and, and important things in life. They must be thinking they're not in agreement at all on anything. How is a church like this supposed to be united if they're so divided? And they can't get anything done. But fortunately, uh, we're just joking around. And all of these things are little things which I'm sure if we had to, we can set aside and compromise a bit, huh? Any compromise, maybe? Mets fans, compromise? Anything? No? Uh, dogs, cats? No? Okay. I don't know where, where that would go. But anyway, on a more serious note, what is really unfortunate is sometimes when the world looks at the church, or as Christianity as a whole, they see the same thing. They see something similar. 
They may see division. They may see disagreement. They may see chaos. They may see mature believers who are not unified at all. People having different agendas. People having beliefs that are not biblical. People that are, that are fighting over trivial theological issues. Groups dividing and, and, and so many more denominations forming. Other people wanting to be right. And people that, have, that want to just be guided more by politics and popular opinion rather than the Bible. And the same thing is true for the local church. If someone comes in seeking one message of hope, do they see a unified body or do they see politics and gossip and inside jokes and fighting and jealousy and cliques and, and agendas? Now, I hope this is not true of our church. I know it's not true of our church, but, but it's an ongoing reality in communities of, of believers is having this lack of unity. And if we are not careful as the church, we can also find ourselves in this predicament when we just let ourselves go. We can find ourselves in a place where we are not unified, but divided. And over the last few weeks, we have been in a sermon series on the Holy Spirit called Activate. How do you activate the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to learn how it is only the work of the Holy Spirit that can bring unity amongst the church and unity amongst believers. So there are a couple of things that we're going to learn today. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. So there are a couple things that that we learn in this passage. And the first thing is this. We are called to live a life worthy of our calling. Live a life worthy of your calling. Again, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So, how did we get into this mess of disunity in the first place? Where did relationships get broken in the first place? And to answer that question, we have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden to the time of original sin. Adam and Eve had this desire to want to be God. And in their pride, wanting to be God, it led them into sin, which broke their relationship with him, broke their relationship with God, with each other, and with 
the world. And then we see the same pattern happening with Cain and Abel and the rest of humanity. There's this pattern, a pattern of pride leading to sin, which always leads to a brokenness of relationships. We see this in the story of the Tower of Babel. The people with their pride had led them to a place where they wanted to to build this tower that reached the heavens. And God stopped their plans and divided them apart with different languages. And the people were scattered throughout the world, forming different ethnicities and different groups. And then throughout Scripture, in the, in the Old Testament, we read about all these hundreds of different groups of people like the Israelites and the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Amorites and all these different groups and world powers like the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Greeks that would fight against each other for conquest and war. And this, would, this, this, this disunity and this fighting would go on for generation after generation. And even in the world right now, we see... This going on, there's this fighting between different groups of people. Sin brought brokenness and disunity into humanity. But there is good news, amen? There is good news. God had a plan of salvation to bring all people back unified under him. In Ephesians 3, Paul shares about God's mysterious plan that is revealed. This is the chapter before, Ephesians 3, 6 through 10. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. Jumping to verse 8. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to underline, to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So what does this mean? This means that God brought away for the Jews and the Gentiles, Gentiles basically, that just means anyone who is not of a Jewish background, so it includes most of us, to bring Jews and Gentiles and all these different people that were diametrically opposite and diametrically different to be unified together under God as his children through Christ. And because of that, we as believers can now live in the fullness of life that he's called us to live, able to do mighty works more than we can infinitely could imagine. Now, this calling is a weighty calling. In Ephesians 4, 1, it says, live a life worthy of your calling. The Greek word used in this passage for worthy means to balance up the scales, to balance up the scales. So what he is saying 
is that your calling and your identity in Christ carry so much weight and so much significance. So likewise, you need to live a life that matches up to that and can carry that much weight. And you've been united with Christ, so you must take action to live this life of unity. So how do we live this life? What do we do? How do we live this kind of life? Do we do this alone? No. But we live this life. We live a life submitted to the Spirit. Our next point. Live a life submitted to the Spirit. So how many of you guys here like watching baseball? Anyone here like watching baseball? A few people watching? Okay. So last year, my son was in kindergarten, and he played t-ball for the first time. And if you've ever seen kids play t-ball for the first time, it is quite a spectacle. Because as parents, when we were there, we were excited to see his first game, and we just assumed that all the kids knew, already knew all about teamwork and cheering each other on and, and uh, respect and all these things. But when the game started, all havoc let loose, and we had no idea what sport they were playing. A kid would finally hit the ball after a long time of waiting, and the ball would go into in, in the infield, and then all the infielders and all the outfielders would come and run and descend on the, the ball. And sometimes there would be their, their own second baseman holding the ball, and they would all just run and tackle him and try to get the ball. And it was more like watching this every-man-for-himself version of, of, uh, of football. It was this mass confusion. And if these kids weren't wearing the same shirts, you would have no idea what team they were on. Because each kid was motivated by wanting to get the glory for themselves. They were motivated by, by having pride for themselves. And it was a very childlike attitude. They didn't care about others. They didn't care about any of their teammates. And if there was a serious spectator sitting there watching this go on, they wouldn't root for any of these teams. They'll be like, what, what, like, what did I come here to see? You see, the kids on the team, that, you know, as you know, they're kids, they're just learning. They're in the learning process, right? But what they did not understand is that they did not understand that, that outside of them, themselves as individuals, they had a collective identity. They were all kids that were coming from different ethnic and social backgrounds, and they were kids that would, wouldn't normally just randomly find themselves grouped together. But they were bound together by the identity of their team. And because of that, they had to learn how to submit to their coaches. They had to learn how to let go of their pride. They had to learn how to be selfless. They had to learn to be understanding. They had to learn to be patient with one another. And it was going to be a really steep learning curve. You know, anytime you have a collection of different people, of different backgrounds, or different de denominations like us, maybe from our past, or different life experiences, or economic status, or educational levels, 
there are bound to be social challenges that come with that. Maybe for some of you, you were nervous maybe the first time going to your life group or your missional community because you didn't know what it was going to be like getting to know each other for the first time or a new group that was starting. Maybe you, you, you wouldn't be sure because there could be misunderstandings, there could be unintentional conflict, there could be awkwardness or insecurities. I can only imagine what it must have been like for the church of Ephesus when there were people of Jewish backgrounds and, and Gentile backgrounds coming together. When they gathered in their homes or wherever they gathered, they had to cross all kinds of social and cultural and religious boundaries, even just to go to each other's homes. Because in those times, normally a Jewish person wouldn't go to the home of a Gentile or even have them in their home. I can only imagine when they had their first life group meeting or, or missional community meeting and they were going to have a potluck and they all came over, the Gentile families might have unknowingly brought over lobster and shrimp and ham and cheese and, and things that were not kosher to, to, the, to a kosher home, not realizing you know, the full implications of what they were doing. And the problems that could ensue from that, the conflict or division, there were, there were things that could come out of that. But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 to 3, Paul says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourself together in peace. If we are called to submit to the Spirit, we are called to take action. We're called to submit to him and to take on the Spirit's characteristics. And the first thing we're called to do is to, to have a life of humility, to display humility. Who here would say that you are the most humble person in the room? Anyone here? Would anyone here uh, say that? I'll give you a trophy. No, 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 okay. All right. No one fell for it. It's okay. In the Greek the, in the Greek world, the, the word for humble and humility was not something that you would want to aspire for. It was always, always associated with servants and slaves and servanthood. And, and, and you would just say, oh, you know, slaves had to be humble or, or display humility. It was seen as something negative. But in the church, the, this word for humble and for humility was a word that was redeemed to have a new meaning and a new connotation. Because it was part of Christ's character. Christ displayed humility by giving up his life on the cross. By humbling himself. And by lifting up uh, others. And we see that. What if, actually what would it look like in the context of our community if we displayed humility? If instead of putting ourselves up first, we, we raised others up and raised the Lord up? What if, it, if everyone in our community did the same thing? It would be countercultural. It would be revolutionary. The world would see this, and hopefully they do now. Next, when we submit to the Spirit, we are called to display gentleness. What does that mean? Gentleness also means meekness. 
Now, this doesn't mean having a lack of passion or a lack of confidence or a lack of strength. What meekness means is is to have controlled strength. And in the context of community, we are a passionate people, yes, but we are not overbearing in how we deal with others. We don't bully people. We do not push people around. We do not live reactively out of our impulses or out of our emotions. But in our strength, we are calculated, we are intentional, and thus we display gentleness. What would it look like to be a community that displayed gentleness? Next, we're called to submit in patience, one of the fruits of the Spirit. Patience in the New Testament refers to the ability to stay steadfast during times of hardship. Being able to be reluctant to avenge wrongs that have been done against you. What it literally actually means is to hold each other up, to hold each other up despite our shortcomings and our faults. When other fellow believers make mistakes or when they offend us, patience means that we don't lose our temper, that we don't take things too personally. And that shows our maturity and how we relate. Christ has had so much patience with us individually, with all of our slip-ups, with all of our mistakes. And therefore, should we not offer that kind of patience to each other too? Submitting to the Spirit also means to have peace. Be bound together in peace. If we submit to the Spirit, we are bound together with peace. And so the question I have for you is, how have you dealt with conflict in the past, conflict with brothers or sisters in Christ, or with anyone? Do you react explosively, or are you passive? Do you run away? When conflicts arise in the context of other believers and and the church, if it's not properly dealt with, it could jeopardize our unity as believers, That's why it's so important how we respond. How we treat others will determine how much of the Holy Spirit we experience through and amongst us in our community. Ephesians 4, verse 30 to 32 says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. It is by extending forgiveness displayed through humility, patience, and gentleness that we then allow the Holy Spirit to flow uninhibited through us individually and collectively. And it's through that we are able to see the Spirit move within us in a mighty way, individually and collectively. 
Who wouldn't want to see the Spirit move like that amongst a group of people? But if we want to see that, we have to be unified. Amen? So why is it so important for us to stay unified? We're called to live a life worthy of our calling. We're called to live a life submitted to the Spirit. And we are called to live a life united in the Spirit. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Now, although we, can, we may look the same on the outside, we can act the same on the outside, we have to be changed together on the inside by the Spirit of God. We have to be led internally by the Spirit of God who is leading us and guiding us. And when we, the church, are united as believers in the Spirit, what happens is it forms a picture. It forms a picture of who the body of Christ is. You know, we're not uniform. We don't all look the same or dress the same. It's not some kind of cult. But rather, we are all unique, and we are all coming from different places. How many of you have ever seen a mosaic painting made from, like, different color tiles, and it forms a big picture? Or, like, online, you could submit, like, your pictures, and it kind of puts them all together in, in this kind of mosaic. Just like a mosaic is formed by different pieces, when we come together... As believers, it forms a picture of who Christ is. It is real. It is tangible. It shows his character. What does this mean for us? What this really means is that if there was a a non-believer that was from another part of the world in Asia or in Africa and they interacted with a group of believers or they interacted with a church... And that same non-believer or seeker traveled to the U.S. or somewhere else and interacted with another group of believers or, or, or another church. That person should be able to say, wow, these people who are worlds apart from opposite sides of the world, they're worlds apart, but it's like they are part of the same family. Even though they haven't met They exhibit the same qualities of of the gospel of grace and mercy and forgiveness. They take care of the poor. They love their enemies. And they all exhibit and, and reflect the same Jesus who binds them together as their Savior. When the church is unified, it forms a collective witness of who Christ is. But... If we are not unified in the spirit, what happens is that we look like a dysfunctional family, fragmented, broken, like a baseball team that's uncoordinated and has no idea where each other is going in different directions. And then when someone encounters a Christians, a group of Christians that are not unified, There's no way it will show a cohesive picture 
of who this Christ is and his goodness for them. The passage says that there is one body, one body, which is one visible body, one community where Jews and Gentiles and everyone have become one. The early church, they saw people that would never be seen together in public were visibly together in a community where they belonged. And in Christ, all peoples can be brought united again under him, reconciled to God. There is one spirit. The same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead is living and was given to the Jews, but also to the Gentile people. There is one hope. We share in the same hope of salvation. There is one Lord. We are all submitted to the same Savior, Jesus, who is the head of the church. And it's only through Jesus that we have salvation. There is one faith. Our faith is in Christ alone. There is one baptism. Baptism is an external seal of what we believe. And when we are baptized, we identify together in his death and in his resurrection. So all share in this same baptism of Christ, regardless of their background or where they're coming from. You don't have to be baptized multiple times. There's one baptism. And there is one God who is Father of all. I know for myself, as an early believer, as, a, as an early Christian, as when I was younger, I was kind of more like a kid that was on a t-ball team. I was only thinking about myself. I was only thinking about my own ambitions. I was only thinking about my own desires and, and my wants and my pride. I wanted to be in the center of everything. And even early on when I was in, in, in churches, I, I, wanted, I didn't want to be part of any team. I wanted everyone to just cater to me. And I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not getting involved. I want the church to, 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 to do what I want. And yes, sometimes growing up in churches, I saw disunity and politics and, and conflict. But below all that, overwhelmingly in the body of Christ, there were people that showed me grace, that showed me forgiveness, that loved me despite my mistakes and my shortcomings because I was also on a learning curve. And I wasn't just shoved to the side, but there were people willing to be patient with me, that would walk with me, and that showed me how to submit to the Spirit and how to be mature. I'm going to invite the band to come up and prepare for the next song. And what I want to do this morning is I want to invite you this morning to submit to the Spirit. What would that look like for you? Maybe for each person, it's different. What would it look like to submit to the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to be activated in you in certain areas? First, there may be some of you here today that have had wounds in your life, and, and most of the deepest wounds have been caused by those who are closest to us, or even other brothers or sisters, or people that claim that they are brothers or sisters in Christ. And if there's a brother or sister in Christ who has offended you, maybe it's time to forgive them. Maybe it's time 
to release them from the mental grip of condemnation that you have, that you are holding them in. Because until you do, you will be grieving the Spirit and stopping the flow of the Spirit in your life and and amongst us. Jesus has extended his grace and his love and his forgiveness to us, and he has set us free. So in the same way, we can also forgive others. And that's when healing comes to the church. That's when we see unity happen. And maybe there's some of you here that, that, you know, someone didn't offend you, but maybe there's someone annoys you because you think you're better than them. This is for myself included. Or maybe in your pride, you've separated yourself from, from someone socially because in your mind, you may have some kind of hidden prejudice against them or, or you may say, hey, this person is less educated than me or, or they're from a different background or a different ethnic group. Or maybe you have some kind of subconscious bias against people that are immature in their faith or new in their faith. And you say, you know what, I, you know, I grew up in the church. I just want to hang out with people that, that are just like me. And, and we're just going to hang out and have, have our own bubble and not, not interact or relate with, or, or with anyone. But what it means to be a mature disciple is to have others in your life that you disciple, that, that you show grace to, that you, that you bring unity to, that you, that you take care of. And if you're resistant to that, you might be grieving the Spirit. It's time to repent that attitude and, and ask for God's forgiveness. Maybe you need to repent and ask God to show you who is that person or that group of people that you've been neglecting go love them to bring unity. That is what the world needs to see in the church. Maybe there's some of you here today, whether you're part of this church or another church and or uh, community believers and and you've been walking with the Lord for a while, but you've always been saying, you know what, I don't want want to be part of a team. I know better. I want to do things my own way. I don't need others Sure, God's leading this church or my church in a certain direction, and I believe that. But I want to do things my own way. And I don't care if you're part of this community or or somewhere else. If you are trying to fly solo in your journey of faith, that is not what God has intended for you. We are meant to be unified in our mission together. I want to invite you to stand as we close, and I want you to reflect on what the Spirit is saying to you. You know, we remember that Jesus himself submitted to the Spirit. And he brought together a group of disciples who were fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and educated and poor and everything in between. And the early church was a vast mix of different people that came together that were only able to come together because they were submitted and united in one spirit. Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor. This was something that the world had never, ever seen before. And I haven't even started talking about their mission and the gifts and all the incredible things that that, that they were to do but they were united together on a mission. And on their mission, they didn't just keep this to themselves. 
but they went out and they loved their neighbors. They went out and they loved their enemies, even willing to give their lives for Christ. And it led a lasting witness of creating that picture of who Jesus really was. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.